Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined by, I would say, I was about to say a frequent guest, but I guess this is only appearance number two for my man, Grinding the Mocks, the Mock Master, the Mock uh, Caller, the Mock Whisperer. Are you a Mock Whisperer, Benjamin Robinson? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> I feel like Whisperer became like a thing. There's a Horse Whisperer and then Quarterback Whisperers. There were some Quarterback Whisperers, I believe, also. I don't get, I mean, I'm not advising anyone on making their mock drafts. So I guess it's just like mock draft truth teller. Yeah, there you go. I like that. Truth teller. That's another big one. Um, you could probably raise some, some money based upon that with some well-worded emails, attacking the system, <laughs> telling the truth, fighting back against the conspiracies that are out there now. And we'll talk about all that as part of this, uh, as part of this interview. But first, you know, let's just write up front in case anyone didn't tune in last time in case anyone hasn't seen some of the content that i've been putting out on on the Substack for unexpected points which is often linking to and leveraging the data that you have grinding the mocks give us give us your elevator pitch right here okay the elevator pitch is that grinding the mocks we're a mock draft predictive analytics company we're kind of like the you know 538 nate silver does for elections we do for mock drafts we take mock drafts we use um you know, mock drafts, we do the wisdom of crowds and data science to predict the NFL draft. So kind of like my three bullet points. Yeah, yeah. Right what on I like the back about what you guys do. Yeah, you got it all. Okay, it's sold. I'm cutting you a check right now. Um, <laughs> so what I also like is not only the volume, but you also have, and I think we discussed a little bit before, like a draft Nick score for these different guys based upon their accuracy and other things. And there's a, ti- there's a weighting based upon timing. That is going on. So that's probably one of the most important things to discuss as an update here, because last time we talked, it was pre-combine, pre-Carolina Panthers trading up to number one, which obviously shifts around everything. Uh, How do you look at that? That that timing score, is it like almost a step up post-combine or is it more of a linear increase as we get closer to draft day? It's a good question. It's uh, it's a it's a linear kind of slow step up. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily have a. I, I'm I'm open to rethinking what that is, but in the way that I've done it in the past is that it's basically a like inverse linear decay function. So, you know, for example, you know, this past week the latest update to grinding the mocks um, was you know this week. It's we're you know basically 25 or so days out from the draft. You take one divided by 25. What do you get? That's the weight that that mock draft gets. So the idea is that we want to weight these mock drafts something. We don't want to weight them too much because the information is still not as rich as we want it to be. So, you know, for example, I'm working on mock draft that'll come out next week for football outsiders. And uh, at this time of the players that are in my first round in terms of the top 31, uh, I would expect only about 24 of the guys that are currently on that list to be in the final 31 on average over the last five years um, or yeah, four or five years, four years, we'll say. And so as we get closer to the draft, that number gets up to like maybe 26 or 27. And so, you know, we really, and then, so it's not just the same group that we're looking at right now, but the, when the group that we look at closer to the draft will ideally be like a better representation of who's actually going to be in the first round. And that's represented by these numbers that are underlying the model that we use to create expected draft position. What I'm always interested in as part of this, and I think this is something we're also going to talk about. It's very much timing based is you have 
the single round mocks pretty much exclusively other than the true the true degenerates <laughs> that are they're putting together multi-round you know but we'll, we'll get our seven round mocks for anyone who's just a masochist obviously I before love before I love we get that. into the draft <laughs> not for you yeah D- dane brugler i think he'll put together that one i mean i guess if you're you, todd mcshay you your friend field. todd mcshay the fan of the draft bryce young while you have uh while you have justin fields on your roster because of vibes um you know, yeah, yeah. He put out a two-round walk a mock this past week, so we thanked. Todd yeah, so now we're getting up to two rounds. We'll eventually get further and further. I mean, why not? I mean, these guys are leaving it all out there because what the hell are they doing the rest of the I'll year? Leave it right? all out on the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we leave it all out on the keyboard. Just working down those buttons are falling off. Um, so now where are we? Because we're starting to get you mentioned two two round mocks from bigger people. So you have two round mocks. Then you have the single round mocks where there is a subset of players, probably, I don't know, I would estimate maybe 10 to 15 ish who are either in or out, depending upon whose mock that we're looking at there. So how are we waiting like the absence of a player being there versus having the hard concrete data, knowing that they are pick 32 or 33 or 34 in this draft? Yeah. It's a tough problem. So you're what you're talking about in like the statistics world, we talk about data being censored data, aka, AKA incomplete data. You're right. Like about 70% of the mock drafts that I collect every year are single round mock drafts. So, you know, one thing I try to do is collect as big a sample as I can, including multi-round mock drafts. I, I never really kind of hit anything more than about 30% of my mocks being multi-round mocks. So, you know, you try to kind of fill in the gaps there. So if you can't fill in the gaps on the data side, I think the, the important thing to do is to fill in the gaps methodologically. So on the public grinding the mocks model, that's a very like simple model. It doesn't really do that. We take what's kind of known in like the statistics world as like a frequentist approach. So we're just using the data that we see. We, we think that of that as the sample. We try to come up with some ways to kind of account for some things and, and we kind of live with that. And the simple model actually does a pretty nice job overall. So even despite the issues in the data, the single simple model does pretty well. The model that I do kind of on the private side that I of which I sell the insights from that and the outputs of that to teams and agents and, and whatnot uh, is my advanced model, the probabilistic model that uses this Bayesian framework where, you know, instead of thinking of the data as the sample that we draw from, we think of it as the distribution. And then we can kind of use different kinds of mathematical techniques to draw from that distribution to come up with better likelihoods for when a player might go based on kind of the distribution of stuff in there, instead of just saying, this is the be all end all, we'll create some sort of like mathematical process by which we can kind of take draws out of the draft to kind of pseudo pseudo simulate the draft. And so that's the, the kind of better way to kind of deal with that. If you can't deal with it on the data side, like I can't make everybody say like, you know how everyone does third one round mock drafts from now on, we're all doing two round mock drafts. Like I wish it was simple as that. Um, I even wish that, you know, whenever someone made a selection in their mock draft, they would say, I think he goes this high or this low. But people are just really simple. And the mock draft is just a, a content um, vehicle for some people. Um, but yeah, so to me, like, if you can't change the data, kind of try to fit a methodology to kind of deal with the limitations that your data has. And so that's what I've done in the kind of more advanced grinding the mocks model is to kind of take some of those additional methods that we see in, in different parts of statistics and apply them to kind of deal with the the complications that arise from the data being as it is. Yeah, yeah. I think going back, I mean, it probably informs highly what ESPN is doing 
on their model for figuring out when when players can be taken. I want to say Brian Burke, who's over there. I don't know what his title is. Sports data, data specialist. Yeah whatever he's kind of like uh he's a little bit of a godfather in a relatively uh newer industry as far as what he's able to do he had his old website i think it was nfl analytics at one point but then he had to change it to advanced Advanced football analytics and i want to say 2015 was the first time i remember him doing a bayesian draft um don't ask me why but as big fantasy football i remember i think Devontae parker was in that draft and i was looking at that for some reason Devontae parker shout out to Devontae, 15th pick overall i believe based on half season of production um so yeah so he was doing there and you're right it has to be this bayesian sort of way or else you get into these weird situations where if one player is taken in a handful of mock drafts at position 17 then you'd say well his average draft position is 17 well it's like no he's missing from all these other mock drafts true yeah the other thing that's really important there is that the in in my world right in the data world when we were collecting these mock drafts in theory when sample size goes up standard like variance goes down right and so in this case the problem is the draft is too random we know that as you know in this case like if i were to kind of pull out you know just do some basic standard standard like uh kind of statistics for these guys summary statistics if i just did average you know the variance and stuff it would be that for some of these guys the variance would be really low and we just know that's just not reality and so we know that the data that we see is this censored data and so you need to come up with these methods that account for that and allow us to kind of inject more randomness into this process than would exist if we were just to analyze it in a straightforward way yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like an art and science combination, I think, especially on some of these things. I mean, I've I have some Bayesian uh, quarterback rankings that I've done and looking at distributions, but you have to know that if you're if you're if you're modeling even what the distributions are based upon the data set, that it's incomplete in the like infinite world of possibilities, even based upon like the true parameters for what players could be i'm not saying there could be like some you know outlier who's beyond like the physical abilities of human beings or something like that but it's limited so you have to kind of estimate that there probably are good ways of doing that that i just don't even know about but i think some of it when i've done it is a little bit of um lowering some of the assumptions for basically you're like you're you're getting a lower confidence level on what you believe that distribution is to be and, and to move even further so it sounds like that's what you're doing there okay enough methodology talk that's what i like to talk about people don't like to talk about people want they want the info they want to know what's going on they want to know who's coming who's going who's moving who's rising who's falling um i don't know if a positional way is probably not the best way to talk about this since we have limited data beyond some of the positions here but just generally you you got some info for me as far as who's moving up or down especially we're talking about a post-combine type of basis yeah, so I, I wrote an article for Football Outsiders a couple weeks ago looking at kind of who are the biggest risers coming out of the combine. And they're the guys that you expected. You know, Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, a big riser coming out of the combine. Uh, you know, another big riser uh, coming out of the combine. I had, you know, Nolan Smith, the edge rusher from Georgia, who had kind of a funky season where he got hurt. Um, if he had been able to play in like the playoffs, I think in the rest of the season, he'd be kind of thought of maybe a bit better, a bit better than he was, but he kind of reannounced himself like, Hey, I'm here. I'm an amazing athlete and I'm a pretty good player. So you should kind of recognize that. Um, and another guy I had on the list was Ade Tomiwa Adebaware, um, 
say that like 10 times. The um, defensive He's a lineman. Prince. I, I, I saw yeah. him at the Prince. Yes. I, I called him in my article for Football Outsiders a short king, and I had to explain in the comments what that meant. Um, he's short for his position. He's short for defensive lineman, yeah. tall for everybody else, but yeah, really incredible athlete. Incredible athlete. And um, I mentioned in my article as well a really like nice analysis um, done about kind of participation rates in combine drills, specifically looking at the 40-yard dash, probably generalizable to the larger set of drills where players are – selectively deciding which drills they want to complete based on the ones that they think will make them look the best. Right. Um, this is like a fairly recent phenomenon since like maybe 2015 or 16 have players to kind of used to just do all the drills, especially the 40 yard dash. And now a lot of them, you know, either don't do them at the combine and do them at their pro day or don't do them at the, their pro day either, which, you know, makes sense depending on the situation that you're in. But Ottawa did all of them and um, kind of and excelled in all of them. And he had, kind of a coming out party at the senior bowl for his draft status. And so to me, yeah, he was a guy who rose a lot after the combine. I think end of the first round is like in his range of outcomes. I don't think it's high probability, but it's in his range of outcomes. So those were the guys who kind of rose the highest out of the combine. And, you know, we tend to see some of those players kind of pop up and then kind of pop down once people kind of go back and watch some of their film. But I think Adebaware, and um, Richardson and Smith all raised their ceilings quite a bit in terms of um, from where they were before uh, after the combine. So I had that article. Those are the three of my, my biggest risers. And I had a few fallers. One is Jalen Carter. It's all relative to where he was pre-combine being like, you know, one, two or three. And now you don't hear about him. Maybe that's because of the trade, but also because of all these off the field issues he's had. I also had um, Kayshawn Boutte, uh, the wide receiver from LSU who kind of, also has not had a great season. He declared for the draft and uh, so he under he just, he said he was going to stay at LSU and then he declared for the draft. And so you have to like question a little bit, like what's going on there. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the two of the bigger fallers I had coming out of, of Indianapolis, but the risers are kind of a little more interesting. All the, the fallers are, are mostly, I think the other faller I had was miles. Um, yeah. Miles Murphy, the edge rusher from Clemson, just because, there's kind of a reshuffling of the deck at edge rusher and he didn't even test at all. So for the most part, the the risers are more interesting because the fallers are kind of like a guy who we knew wasn't great, but didn't perform well. And a guy who had off the field troubles and another guy who didn't even test because he got hurt. So the risers are kind of a little more interesting in terms of the, the actual stories behind them. But I think, yeah, like I said, Richardson Smith and Ottawa all raised their ceilings after, after Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is my I, – I, I've not tested this, so caveat here. Um, but my theory is – so the guys who are not the top picks going into the combine, they are much more likely to do the drills, do all the drills, if, if there are people doing all the drills, because they're trying to either raise or lower their draft status. And they almost have to a little bit more in order to, to have a chance at raising their draft status. So they can also be some of the biggest fallers because they do the drill, as we talked about, when they're not necessarily that good at the drill, knowing they're not that good at the drill because they feel like they have to do it. Whereas the top guys, I don't feel like they fall that much based upon actual combine drills. I know people like to talk about DK Metcalf and he was, he was probably just like not a good idea to do the three cone. I'm not sure it really matters for a player of his proportions. I mean, Calvin Johnson didn't do the three cone because he probably wouldn't be very good at doing at doing the three cone. But I think he fell more for like injury concerns and other things that, that are happening with him. So I don't think a lot of guys fall, but the picking and choosing, I think, is really interesting because it's almost become like no one does the agility drills anymore 
probably they're just like harder to train for. Like we kind of understand sprinting training and things like that. I don't know how much training you can really do to be that great at the agility trails. The guy that I really wanted to put in is my, you know, alma mater, I'm a university of Pittsburgh uh, graduate is Kalaja Kansi, the defensive tackle from Pitt. I wanted to put him in my article. I'm, I'm, I was thinking about it. And then I, I had to come back to reason and say, you know, out of war, I did like all the drills pretty much. I think yeah. maybe he didn't do one of them. But Kansi basically came there, weighed in, did the 40, and was like, yeah, peace. I see you. I'm going to go by. And then he did the drills that he did, those agility drills at his pro day, and apparently was awesome. So I'm like, well, why didn't you just do them all? I could have included you in my article. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a little bit but, yeah. I mean, then the, the, the interesting one, and maybe we'll talk about some of these skill positions a little bit more since people are really hyper-focused on it when it comes to fantasy football and other things. Um, the, the, the drill – selection from jackson smith and jigba exactly. not doing the 40 but doing the agility drills and smashing the agility drills and i feel like coming out of the combine he might have been like a relative riser amongst the top wide receivers despite the fact that he didn't do the 40 yard dash which was probably the biggest concern of his if anyone was going to mention a concern was what his long speed was going to be yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, looking back a month, he's the, the highest rising wide receiver in my data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the thing that I take away from, it's a, it's an interesting question because I, I look back on the, um, the COVID year where we had, you know, Jamar Chase, we had Micah Parsons, some, you know, Panay Sewell, a bunch of other ones who like didn't play. Right. And so, you know, they weren't injured, but they decided not to play. And so the question is like, what do you take away from like the year that Smith and Jigba had two years ago when he didn't play? And, you know, to be honest with you, like, I mean, the, the league did not punish Jamar Chase um, for that. They didn't punish a bunch of the players, a bunch of the players who opted out. You know, maybe it was a special year and I don't know, but yeah, to me, that's the, the, the production thing for Smith and Jigba. We just have that missing year of production. And although the year before was great. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I remember saying, in the Jeff Justin Jefferson draft that I thought maybe he might fall in the draft because he was a slot only guy. And, you know, I was wrong. And I mean, he did fall a little bit in the draft, not too far from where I thought he would go, but you know, he didn't, he went, you know, after a guy like Jalen Rieger, who was an outside guy. So like, I, I get the sense that Smith and Jigba will be the first wide receiver. Um, as a pit guy, I really love Jordan Addison, but that's just me from like, as a fan fan perspective, you know, other players that rose quite a bit since the combine in terms of wide receivers. I have um, Cedric Tillman, wide receiver from Tennessee. Um, him and Jalen Hyatt are really, really interesting guys. Hyatt has kind of fallen a little bit. I still view him as one, you know, higher expected draft position than I do Tillman. But Tillman, I think people are kind of looking back maybe at the Tennessee film, looking at kind of a guy like Kenan Hooker, who's experiencing like a quote unquote rise, like it's a quote unquote, right? But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, to me, I don't like, know if it's like a Malik Willis rise or if it's what sort of rise it is. Yeah, I've spoken about this before a little bit. I'm a little wary about when you bring in four quarterbacks in a draft is a lot in the first round. Five in the first round would be like that would be like Lamar Jackson, that, that 2018 class where he kind of just snuck in at the end. Yeah, um, the mock drafts tend to over mock quarterbacks. So like every year there seems to be one guy at least last year there was like four of them. You know, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter were all overmocked last year. I think that's a little bit of a, an outlier, but I expect maybe one of the guys in the first round. So I've been asking people, and so I want to ask, turn the tables and ask you this question. Of the top four, so, you know, Young, Stroud, 
um, Richardson and Levis. Who do you think will be kind of drafted later relative to their draft position? Like, what do you kind of, what do you, what do you kind of think? Do you think it's Levis just because the production is bad? Or do you think it's Richardson because, you know, the production is like pretty okay, but like he has these raw issues, these like intangibles that we used to think that we really wanted, but maybe sometimes the league will look at, you know, Malik Willis and say the same deal. Like, well, he has all these other traits, but he really doesn't throw the ball well. Um, I mean, I'd say if we're looking at kind of like lagging data or expectations, probably Levis. But if we're looking at um, what seems to be a groundswell of hype for for Richardson, then I think that might be yeah. what what ends up happening. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at these guys right now. I mean, I realize accuracy and these things. I mean, Richards is really bad. Is it far as those stats, especially short? Just watch that. Watch the tape. Watch the tape. You'll yeah, find all these the amazing I, I, I love. Yeah. I love it when you see him like throw five passes like twenty five yards down the field, and it's like, look, he's accurate. It's like, well, his problem wasn't that. Like his problem was between zero and nine yards. He was at like the first percentile for accuracy yeah. versus most other guys. And no matter what you say about it, like that's where most of the passes go and are thrown. Yeah, I, I love something that disputes because even PFF and now. Um, stats bomb and others like they'll look at the exact ball location of these different throws and try to judge on that. And then someone will be like, Oh, that's a narrative that he's inaccurate. Look at these four throws on my film versus something charted on everything. So I guess he would be the guy I'd be worried about if, if like Levis slips in in front of him somehow in this draft, then uh, maybe he could fall a bit further than some people think. I'm the, the analysis I'm really interested in hearing actually is the air. Well, I'm not sure if he'll do it now that he's at Sumer and not at PFF. Is Eric Eager's uh, text analysis? Because mm. the reason I, I say this is that. So I was on a, a different podcast the other week, and they said, you know, read the Lance Zerline NFL.com draft profile of Malik Willis, and then read the NFL.com Lance Zerline draft profile of Anthony Richardson. Yeah. And they're a bit more similar than you might think in terms of some of the descriptions. So that's an analysis I'm kind of interested, just from a qualitative perspective, to kind of quantify a little bit of the the draft profile vibes of Richardson but I mean Richardson the thing about him being the top riser is that the expectation was that he was a good athlete the results showed that he was an amazing athlete and that's why he rose as much as he did not because I think that people thought that he wasn't a good athlete I think people could see on film that he was a good athlete but that people now realize that he's you know a one of one almost pretty much for a quarterback in terms of an athlete and I think that that makes his ceiling higher. I also thought that made Malik Willis's ceiling higher, but everyone seems to to think that, you know, I mean, I watched, it was painful to watch him this first year. It was like, he didn't know how to throw. It was pretty, it was pretty messy. So I, I think, I think Richardson will get a, a chance because he's probably a better athlete. And I would like to think that, you know, that will impact this, his ceiling, but I also could potentially see him falling a bit. And I, I don't know, I, I kind of think Levis has a better floor. And so some teams in the, the top 10 might be, kind of more inclined to pick him. I think people are kind of just now falling out of out of his kind of falling out of favor. But yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued all around. Yeah, it's interesting with Levis because uh, who's I looking at? Sports Info Solutions. They did their uh, big board and grading. And unless it was an oversight, Levis is not even graded. Like, so, so, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't I have don't any quarterbacks they graded, but it was at least a dozen and he's not even on there. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess we're not seeing a lot of that with Richardson. No, I'll, I'll give one thing for Richardson versus Willis. Like Willis, I think he was scrambling or getting sacked on just an insane percentage of his dropbacks. Whereas Richardson's actually been pretty good about 
avoiding sacks and and you know n- not just just freaking out basically yeah. not just running back yeah. in the pocket uh, and then having no idea what he's going to do and that's where Willis was a lot. Yeah, the Richardson the the Daniel Jeremiah top 50 prospect rankings. I look at them sometimes just to kind of get a sense of like he's like a, a real thought leader, I think a true thought leader. People really follow his his opinions and he has Richardson as his 10th ranked player and Levis as his 12th ranked player. So to me, you know, I Maybe we just see four in the top 10 anyway. Um, but everyone's, I think Levis is in the latest update of Grinding the Mox was the biggest faller. And I just think that that's an overreaction to, you know, either the Hendon Hooker stuff, which I think is pretty much noise, and the Anthony Richardson stuff, which I think has the potential to be more real. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One thing we mentioned Daniel Jeremiah, and this is maybe what we'll, we'll end on here. Let's talk a little Bijan. Bijan talk. Uh, number three, I believe, on DJ's big board. He's yeah. being. Uh, who was it? McShay, I guess, who mocked him to the Eagles and then everyone yelled at him. Yeah. And then and then there was a great you gotta love Twitter. So then he comes back and then after they uh they lose um uh Miles Sanders, he's like, see, now do you think it's crazy? And everyone responds, Yes, we still we still think it's crazy that it's happening. What do you what do you think about something like that? Because I think people can be equally like not weighing in enough a, a team preference and team style. But at the same point in time, I do think people that say there's a 0% chance, a snowball's chance in hell type of thing that the Eagles take Bijan with one of their first two round picks, not just the, I, I think they're probably underestimating the possibility that it does happen. Yeah. He's the player that I'm most concerned that I'm low on. Okay. Just because like, I mean, yeah, like you look at it and you're like top three, like then that should be a guy who should be solidly in the top 10. And he's never been in the top 10 in my data. Mm-hmm. He's always been like in the middle of the pack. Like I think he's in the newest release. I have him as like my 15th or 16th ranked player. And so, you know, when I've thought about potentially as like a, another sidebar to like include big boards as well as mock drafts in some of my analysis, which I'll probably something I'll test in the off season. Um, then, yeah, that's, that's something where I'm worried about being low on a guy like Robinson, because I, it, the, the team fit in the top 10 might not be there, but he still might go there. And so to me, yeah, like I don't foresee a team like the Eagles doing it. It just feels like they really don't use the first round as the kind of laboratory to take non-premium position guys. And then, you know, what we talked about, I think we've talked about in the past too, like this first, this running back cl- class is pretty good. Like they can, they've always had numbers of that position. I mean, look at the position, how many guys they have. Most teams have like maybe two, maybe three running backs on the roster, but last year they had, you know, Miles Sanders, they had you know, Kenneth Gainwell, you know, Boston Scott, um, you know, they normally have like a, a stable of backs and they also had Trey Sermon last year. So like they always carry like four backs. I don't think they believe that in, tr- in a true one big back, like they're happy to spread the load around, um, you know, in the consensus mock that we did, I think that was, that was the, the most interesting kind of uh, player Robinson, because you have a team like the Buccaneers who are in a rebuild, who, aren't afraid to use like premium resources potentially on a, a non-premium position. You have the bills who are constantly mocked running backs over the years and never do it. Um, you know, you have a lions who have two first round picks, you know, they, you know, they let uh, Jamal Williams go in this off season. Like that seems like potentially a landing spot, but you know, they also tend to use like the first round to draft premium positions with Brad Holmes in there. So to me, like uh, he's the most, intriguing player in this whole graph for me in terms of where he'll go because you know everyone says you know yeah if you, t- if you took him as a as a player and sacked him up he might be as good as Saquon Barkley which I kind of disagree with 
but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Like he's... the how how much is this the of the discount is if he's the same player as Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley went number two, so I don't think that's happening. But no, it, it's like it's like I said, it's the most intriguing question to be of this entire draft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's this thing where. Like for for mocking, if you're putting four quarterbacks in the top ten, right? That's already four of ten slots. So you're you're let's say you have another four defenders who are going to go in the top ten. Now we're talking about like two spaces that are left, or one of those two spaces going to go to a running back as opposed to any other non quarterback position. It, it's tough. I mean, Gettleman, you know, I don't. Who knows? Who knows where Barkley ends up, right? If Gettleman's not there, because there was Josh Allen in that draft. There was Sam Darnold who ended up going in that draft. There were other, you know, high players. Quentin, uh, um, uh, well, why am I thinking his last name? The guard who ended up Nelson. going to the Colts. Yeah, and then everyone else who who went there. So yeah, Quentin, Quentin Nelson. All these all these guys that were seen as premium premium type of players. It might have been a weird thing. Um, I think we're a little bit past 2016. Dallas Cowboys taking Ezekiel Elliott before. Jalen Ramsey, but I would think, I think Elliot is really like the closest comp to a Bijan type of player. I agree with you. I think Saquon is like, if you want to say if someone's like more of a special type of like real athlete yeah. sort of guy, he probably is more. Whereas Bijan is kind of like the Zeke sort of thing. And like, again, where does Zeke go in that type of draft? If he's not taken by the Cowboys there, you just never know like that, that, that inflection point. If they aren't taken by that one team, there might not be another team for another 15 spots in the draft to take them. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of the teams that are drafting that have taken you know, non-premium players. Well, number one, you know, there's also the the absence of Miami in the first yeah. round. And you can all, people would mock running backs at them all the time as well. So to me, you know, the, the teams that have, that might be like in that area, you know, you have a team like the Raiders that are kind of new, the Patriots guys. You can say the same thing about the Titans potentially even with Derrick Henry on the way out, but there's also a new regime with Cartham from, from San Francisco um, you know, the Patriots, you know, I'm, I hate to say it, like they have used first round picks on non-premium positions. They did that last year. Well, Sony um, Michelle, which I, I was yeah. talked for years about how they hadn't used a first round pick on a, on a running back in so long. And then they, then they did it. Yeah. So many sharp front offices that, but you know, even the sharp people will sometimes fall in love with this talent or get like way too married to their board. So, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by Bijan. I don't have a great read on it. And I don't think the there's not a whole I don't even I think that there's many players that even have draft over unders yet. So there's not even a lot of betting data right now to even say about a guy like Bijan. But yeah, yeah. he's a guy that I'm going to be following really closely. Um, there's not a lot of I think he did visit with the Eagles, Bijan. Yes. But, you know, they visit with a lot of guys. And so I'm not yes, necessarily that's... always sure what to take from this. This uh, Everyone loves the Instagram. Thirst trap of the stadium <laughs> photo, I guess. Is, yeah. Is what they're trying to. That's what they're trying to do there. Okay, I, I got to let you go. Get get you out of here before we go. Uh, first of all, I'll mention. You know, I'm going to continue to be working on wide receiver and running back modeling, which will incorporate your data as part of the draft position assumption, which is really kind of the most important thing, honestly, in predicting what these guys are going to do in the NFL. And then you're tweaking around it with all the other. Uh, nerd shit that I'm going to be doing there. What what else do you want to plug? You mentioned a few things coming out of Football Outsiders. Anything else, uh, public stuff that people can check out? Yeah, just grindingthemocks.com. You know, this part of the year is not like a big content producing year for me. It's a big data production year uh, stuff thing. So yeah, so, you know, we'll continue to ride out stuff on unexpected points, all different types of stuff related to the draft and prospects. You know, I have 
another mock draft coming out at football outsiders. And I'll probably have um, one more mock draft in there as well, closer to the draft, as well as a kind of secondary leading into the draft, biggest risers and fallers piece that will come out. But yeah, continue to to update grindingthemocks.com on a weekly basis until the week of the draft where it's going to be every day. And then on the draft day, it'll be twice a day. So um, I might do like some sort of like live stream thing um, on the first night of the draft, potentially just need to like figure out how to, set that up, but it'll probably be like super low tech, like <laughs> super low tech. Um, we'll see, but I'll do something kind of, my plan is to do something a little bit more than just kind of tweet out the the draft. Yeah. So yeah. Draft thing fun. sounds good. Maybe I'll do something and I'll just, I'll yeah. just invite you on and bring you on yeah. here and we can, we can, we can chop it up then. Okay. Check out everything uh, Ben's doing and I'll have you on again, definitely at least one more time before we get to the draft. Um, and then maybe the night of the draft, if that's, that's an interesting idea, but or maybe a couple times before the draft. But thanks so much, man, for making the time and uh, allowing everyone to get a little little sneak peek at your public data, of course, and then, of course, the data that I'm putting on the site. Thanks so much, man. Of course.